Welcome to the X242 podcast. This is Alex Nash, and uh, today let's talk about Zechariah chapter 4 a little bit. So this is the fifth of the visions that Zechariah had in this one night. And uh, they're kind of answering all of the different objections that or questions that people would have had and would have been on their minds at that time. So in chapter one, uh, you have those all of those horsemen, right? And they're riding in the ravine. And it's the Lord telling them, you know, I hear you. I'm, I'm here. I'm aware of what's going on. You know, don't, don't worry. I, I, I know. And also it's telling him that the 70 years are up and I'm going to bless Jerusalem. And then you had the four uh, horns and the four craftsmen, you know, those that would destroy Israel. But now he says, I'm, I'm going to come out with these four builders. They're going to take care of you. Don't worry about the kind of political landscape around you. It will be taken care of. And then in chapter two, we had the, the surveyor again, the Lord saying, I, I've got these plans. They're, they're grand. I, I have all of these ideas for you and, and they're going to come to pass if you obey the Lord. And then in chapter three, we had Joshua. He's wearing these clothes that symbolize all the iniquity of the people of Israel. The Lord takes them off figuratively, gives him clothes of righteousness, festal robes, it says, and now they are ready, if you will, to be in the land, to enjoy the Lord's presence. And, you know, if you were there, have you ever been part of like a building project? Or maybe you're working on something in, in your life and you're working on it for a long time and it doesn't seem like you're really getting anywhere and you kind of peter out in the end. Like, I think this happens to people when maybe they're like trying to work out or, uh, or they're trying to, um, you know, maybe deal with some problem in their life or, you know, if you're actually trying to build something and things are not going right, you know, like you're trying to pour the foundation and it's, you know, just whatever things are not going properly. Well, the people uh, that had returned was Zerubbabel and Joshua had um, been working for at this point, 20 years on the temple and the entire time. Their progress had just been frustrated by all these people that were around them. They tried to do these things, and the people had said hired counselors all the days of Cyrus, throughout the days of Cambyses, and then in Bardia, during the reign of Bardia, they had actually shut down the work by order of the king. But then, of course, Bardia had you know passed away, and um, Darius had taken the throne. And so the, the work that they had begun had just kind of been been hindered and now they weren't really sure what the opinion was going to be of Darius nobody really knew what he would think of this until you know later they would they would write to me read about this in Ezra how the people in the land eventually wrote to Darius kind of in this very careful way and you know basically said uh, this is what they said this is what they're doing do, do you want them to or or not and Darius, of course, in the end, as, as is prophesied here in Zechariah, ends up supporting the work and ordering them to help or else, you know, he's going to, I think he says, take a, a beam out of their house and impale them on it. And, and so he basically says, help them or else. And so from this point forward, you know, historically, and as we read in Ezra, they did receive help, but they wouldn't have known it at this time. And so one of the great questions that you would have had, and maybe you do have over whatever personal journey you're on, is how I just don't have the strength. You know, I just can't seem to make this work. How is this ever going to come about? And 
This is answered, if you feel that way, this is answered in Zechariah chapter 4, because that's how the people of the land felt in this day. They just thought, we're trying to do this work, and we we can't. We've just been frustrated at every turn, and and now, um, you know, the call has come from Haggai to start the work again. Zerubbabel's and Joshua have started it again, but it just seems like there's so much to do and so little energy, and we don't even know if we're going to be allowed to do it. So let's see how the Lord answers that question for these people that lived in this day. So we read, The angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who is awakened from his sleep. So this is, again, a lot of people think this is on the same night. So he kind of wakes up, if you will, and now he's asked to see. So he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a, a lampstand all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. Also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, the other on the left side. And so, of course, <laughs> Zechariah asked the same thing that you or I would wonder. Then I said to the angel who was speaking to me saying, what are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Okay, so... First of all, I want to just kind of try to paint the picture. It's a little bit difficult and it's not perfectly clear what exactly he saw. There's different opinions on this. Um, you can read different thoughts on what this seven and the other seven spouts are. A lot of people think of it as like a manure. I don't know if you know what a manure is, but a manure is a candle. It's, it's a candlestick. Uh, it says that this is a candlestick. But a menorah is where you've got this one, if you will, think of a traditional candlestick, just a tall, straight candlestick coming up and you can put a, um, a candle on the top of it. And then coming out of each side, if you will, on that vertical riser, you've got pipes, shall we say, coming off to the left and right, three on one side, three on the other side to make a total of seven uh, candlesticks total. Now, this is a little bit different than that, but but that's kind of the typical image. If you were to Google, you know, Zechariah 4, Zechariah's uh, lampstand, you know, that's pretty much the image that would come up. But you'd see this other image, too. And um, because this is not a candlestick, this is actually a lampstand. OK, so. A lamp in those days, obviously they didn't have electricity. It wasn't this thing that you set on your desk and hit a button and it turns on. The, the way a lamp worked in, in those days, a little bit hard to describe maybe, um, but essentially you would have a, a pot. Okay, let's just call it a pot. Think of it like, like, like a tea kettle. It might be almost the closest thing we've got to it. Think of a tea kettle or a pot. You fill the thing up with oil, okay? And then in the spout, like where you would normally pour the tea out of, there's this little hole, if you will, on, on one end of the pot. So you can fill the oil up in the other end. It's a much bigger hole. But at this one end of the, of the pot or this lampstand, there, there's a little hole and you would take your match or well, they wouldn't have a match, but whatever they would have, they, they would light that end of it, okay? 
And so this would then you it would it would burn the oil would burn, and you would have you know light that would come off of this, and it would be if you will controlled the whole thing wouldn't burn at the same time because it only has this little spout off of off of one end. You can go over to to Israel actually. Um, when my sister was over in I think Rome, she uh, she she actually bought one of these little replica things and brought it home. I've got it on my on my uh, um, bookshelf back home. It's pretty neat. So the way that I think of this anyway, it seems to be that the way, and like I said, there's different, there's different thoughts out there because there's the seven lampstands and then there's also the seven spouts, it says. But there are some lampstands that are from that era where, and I don't know how well I can describe this, but think of a teapot, except instead of one spout off of just one side, you've got a spout seven of them all the way around the body or the base, if you will, of the teapot, okay? So essentially, that's the, the image that I think this is intending to represent, okay? The spouts could also just refer to uh, the, the lines that if you will go back to the base of, of, of like a manure style, but it seems to be, the prevailing thought seems to be that each of these lampstands, so you have a spout, it comes up, if you will, and you have this lamp, but then the lamp has seven individual points of light around it. And then there's seven of those lamps. So you can think of a manure, again, with like that straight bar on, in the center and then the three on either side. But then at the top of each of those, each of those seven, think of this teapot with seven spouts sticking around it, okay? And so you'd light each one. So you'd end up with a total of 49 lights, but in seven specific um seven specific uh, lamps, shall we say, and all attached to one single lampstand. Now, if you can imagine someone picks up this lampstand and starts walking, or you have this in a room, this would throw off a ton of light, a huge amount of, of light, 49, you know, lights. People would walk around holding just, just one, you know, to go to bed or whatever else. Here's 49. This would really light things up. It would be a really glorious display of, of light. And this is intended, it's all of gold, of course. This is purity. It's speaking of divinity. It's speaking of, as is said, the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And you might get to this point, and I think the people of the land were at this point, where you just think, there's no way. We can't do it. You know, we're trying to build this, and we've been 20 years. We've been frustrated. We've been shut down. It's just not going to work. We can't do it. We don't have the strength. Look at all the debris we have to move. We have to get these massive rocks. And how are we ever going to do this? And the Lord says, well, it's not going to be by trying really hard. It's not going to be by, by um, you know, mustering more people or whatever else and getting an army at this. It's just going to be by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I can say that I have been in situations with different jobs where I've had the same sort of experience where, in fact, just this past year, last year I had this experience where there was a job where nothing was going right. <laughs> it just seemed like it was never going to work and um, we were not going to get it done on time and everything else. And the Lord just allowed for it all to work out just, if you will, in the nick of time, everything got completed. 
and it was successful. And the Lord can do that. And uh, the Lord ended up doing that with these individuals here. And this is what he prophesies at this time. He just says, by my spirit. Now, the spirit doesn't come in and build the house for them. But somehow, uh, in some way, God gives the strength, gives the wisdom, gives the materials, gives whatever is needed. And, um, and the work just somehow gets done when the spirit of God assists. And that's what he says that he will do here. So he says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. So for you and I, if we have some great struggle, if you will, uh, it's called here a mountain. What are you, a great mountain? Before zero, you'll become a plain. He will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. This is the image of, you know, this great mountain of obstacles, shall we say, and just feeling like, I've got to move a mountain here and I don't have the strength. I've got a shovel and, and a wheelbarrow and I can never move that mountain. And he says, actually, Zerubbabel, it's going to just become a plain. All the obstacles are going to be cleared away. And you're going to bring forth and essentially set this top stone in the temple. And the thing you're going to be saying is not, well, you know, I did a good job. Look at that. The thing you're going to be saying is grace, grace to it. In other words, the result is going to be you're going to see the hand of God and you're just going to praise the Lord. And what's going to come out of your mouth is not anything to do with you, but grace, which is all to do with God. And so that's the end result. And for you and I, if we have something in front of our lives that looks like a great mountain and we just think there's no way I'm ever going to get to the other side of this. It's probably to some degree because we are not depending on the Lord and the Lord is not, um, how can I put it, uh, has not brought us to the place where he's ready to just make that a plane for us. And so the call for us is to, is to realize that this is true. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. When the Lord is giving obstacles or when there are obstacles, I should say, it's not like necessarily that the Lord's giving them. We have to turn and depend upon the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I, you need to make this happen. You need to make this work. This happens in assemblies. This happens all over the place where there are things that just seem, I mean, we had a, had a situation just a little bit ago in a spiritual sense where it just seemed like there was no possible positive outcome of this particular situation and just kind of braced and waited for the end. But, you know, you pray and you pray and you seek the Lord and the Lord, by his own power and his own wisdom, just work that situation out. And the Lord can do that. But he does look for us to turn to him and depend on him so that when the resolution comes, when the mountain is made a great plain, if you will, we don't take the credit and say, you know, well, I did a good job there. Rather, he looks for the praise. He looks for us to be saying at the end of the day, grace, grace to it. And so you have a very direct now word of the Lord. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will finish it. Now, I've been 20 years. I don't know how old Zerubbabel was at this point, but um, he couldn't have been a young man, you know, at this point. He must have been at some age when he left Babylon and um, he'd been working on this for 20 years. So it would seem like it would seem like this is maybe something that he thought was beyond either his life expectancy or just 
He didn't know that he had the physical wisdom and understanding to even carry on with the project. But the Lord says, no, you are going to finish it. This isn't going to be given to somebody else to do. I want you to finish it. And, um, and he says, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me, has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? That's a kind of a famous quote um, that sometimes we see in conference letters and sometimes we just kind of see splashed, splashed around and says, you know, it's a day of small things. Who has despised it? The, the point here, though, is are you going to, this is a day of small things. It's a day when the temple's much, much smaller than it was in the days of Solomon. Are you going to despise this day and finally just kind of throw up your hands and say the Lord can't help, the Lord can't do anything? No. It's a day of small things, yes, but don't despise it. The Lord is still working and he is still going to bless. And then he says, but these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and, for, to and for, fro throughout the earth. And so we, we find this is a reference back to that um, lampstand. And he says the seven, that would be those seven, if you will, lamps that we talked about, each of which seem to have seven lights in them. But the seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord going to and fro through the whole earth. And we have a couple other verses about these. They seem to come up kind of time and again. We find the, the lamb in Revelation, you know, that's standing there. He's got seven eyes, which are the um, eyes of the Lord, I believe it is. Or maybe it's the spirits of God. The eyes of the Lord and the spirit of spirits of God, seven spirits of God before the throne. They seem to be the same thing. And one thing that would indicate that is that we have Revelation 4 and verse 5. And he says there, um, you know, out of the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. It's a scene of looking upon, you know, God. And it says, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Well, the seven lamps of fire sounds an awful lot like what we're talking about here. I believe it is the same thing. And here it distinctly says that these are the eyes of, of the Lord. So there's just a reference say the eyes of the Lord and the seven spirits of God are one and the same. And there are other references uh, in Revelation and et cetera that would show that. But then we, we can think of other verses that reference these eyes of the Lord. So we have the verse, pretty famous verse, you know, it says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the good and the evil. And then you also have, and I'm going to misquote it, but the, the verse about the eyes of the Lord, um, you know, are going about seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those that fear fear the Lord or something to that effect. Well, that seems to be the thought here. These eyes of the Lord, the seven spirits of God, they're collectively just called the spirit of God. And I'm not saying that's the same thing as the, the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know how that interaction is. Um, but in any case, that's what these things are. That's what it says these are. These are the eyes of the, of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. And so, it's clear now, at least I think it's clear that he's presenting the spirit of God. He says this is going to be done through the spirit of God. Zerubbabel is going to be the one to finish this. And it's going to result in these cries of grace, grace to it. But there's still a question that would remain. And this last question would be, well, there was this other thing that was in the vision, and that was these two olive trees. So he says, then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on its left? Now, the interesting, this is very interesting what happens here. 
because he turns, if you will, there's these two elements, these olive trees that, that have not been answered as far as what they are. And he turns to the angel and he asks, what are they? And then there's, there's no answer. So then he says, I answered the second time and said to him, what are the two olive branches which are beside the two golden pipes which empty the golden oil from themselves? So I don't know if you caught that, but first of all, he asked just what are the trees? And, the, and he doesn't get an answer. And then he asks, well, what are these two branches that are coming off of these trees? And so we find another little bit of detail, as if you will, as he, as he asks the question, he looks back towards them, if you will, in this vision or this, this scene that he has. And he realizes that really what's happening is that there's these two branches coming off of the olive trees. And there's pipes coming off of those branches that are going to the bowl. One of the things, I guess I didn't mention this earlier, but this lampstand has a bowl. So it has these seven lamps, but it also has a bowl on the, on the top of it. It seems to be kind of, I don't know, suspended somewhere around it. Maybe it's in the center of it and these seven lamps are situated around it. I don't know. But there's this big bowl, if you will, that um, apparently is full of oil. And it's sitting there and it's feeding these seven lamps, you know, like, like, like we talked about. So, and now we find out that, that feeding the bowl is these two um, pipes, if you will, that go to these olive trees. And so, you know, in the temple, you would have the priests would come in and they would fill up the, 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 the different individual lamps or whatever else to give light. Well, here it just is fed all on its own. You just see this oil everywhere. And oil, and especially olive oil in the scripture, is a figure of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the reasons that we know it's a figure of the Holy Spirit. But there's many other reasons why we would see that oil is a figure of the Holy Spirit. But what you find here is that there isn't any influence of individuals. It's simply just oils kind of everywhere. It's there. It's, it's being burned in the light. It's in the bowl. It's in the trees. It's flowing out into the uh, bowl, etc. So, the angel does answer the second question. He doesn't answer the first question, what are the two olive trees? But he does answer the second question, what are these two branches of the olive trees? And by answering the second question, we have a more clear answer to the whole question. So um, he says, so he answered me saying, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. He seems to do that a lot. The angel seems to kind of check. Are you sure you don't know what these are? He says, no. There are times he doesn't, but it seems like when he does, he's indicating that Zechariah really does know what these are, and he just hasn't uh, linked them up yet. You know, It seems to be that's the thought, and that's what he says here. He says, these are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, Anstey and Kelly and everybody else all agree, and I agree, that this is a reference to the um, priest and to the king. They were two, the two individuals that were anointed by oil in the Old Testament. You know, when a new priest was going to be anointed, certainly when a king was anointed, think of, you know, Samuel going to David. He takes the oil, he pours it onto his head, and you have this, this um, person who is now what is called anointed. And they're anointed by oil, but they are, uh, by implication, anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God or just called the Spirit sometimes would at that time come upon them. It would 
he would give them strength and ability to do all the things like we just talked about in, in this chapter. Now we who are saved, we have the anointing of the oil of the Spirit of God on us as well. We're sealed with the Spirit. The Spirit is actually within us. And so as we face a mountain of obstacle or whatever it is, we have already the um, Spirit of God there to make that mountain a plain, to give us the strength, to help us through all of these different things. But we so often don't look to the Spirit of God. We don't look to God to deal with things. We're so used to trying to deal with things ourselves that we really sell ourselves short, maybe I could say, or really, um, maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but we really buy a lot of trouble for ourselves by trying to deal with things ourselves instead of just turning them over to the Lord and letting the Spirit of God do what he can do so powerfully. And, you know, I think the wonderful thing to see at the end of this is that it was only, so they've been working on this for 20 years. And Ezra records that it was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius that the temple is completed. And so uh, we find that truly, as is said, when the spirit of God is Working, the, the great mountain did indeed become a plain. Darius gave a response that, you know, ordered all this help. They got all the help that they needed. And within four short years, this temple was completed. The mountain indeed did become a plain. And Zerubbabel's hands did indeed, as is prophesied, finish the temple. And so it's kind of a, it has a greater application to the end times and to everything in our lives, that we must depend upon the Spirit of God, upon God's power to accomplish things that we find we cannot accomplish ourselves.